Greetings, citizen. Welcome to the show, and thank you for listening. For more of the art of wargaming in your life, definitely check us out on Instagram and Facebook. If you'd like to support the show, we have a Patreon account where you can do just that for as little as $1 a month. What we can offer will expand as the show does. If you don't have extra funds, but would still like to help us out, you can give us a like, share, or five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to get in touch? Feel free to message us or hit up our email, artofwargamingpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you because we know the world is vast, with many different ideas on tactics and strategy that can be applied to the games we enjoy. Welcome to the Art of Wargaming on the Ear Verm Network. I am Yaga Malark, and today we'll be talking about Ebony and Wolf. But before we get into that, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, everything that's <laughs> kind of going on. Uh, first off, just wanted to say that uh, within the last week, we had a pretty big uptake in our Redbubble sales. Well, that's pretty exciting. We're going to ignore the fact that my wife was the one buying up all these pillows so that we could have each of the seasons. But uh, progress is progress. So, again, a lot of good stuff on there. Uh, if it could be someone else buying stuff except for just my wife, that'd be great. Otherwise, we'll just buy everything, which is fine too. I had a game this last week against my, my friend TF. I know we've talked about him before. He's, you know, been on the show. And... We were going to do a little a little sortie, 500 points. He brought his Blood Angels, of course, and I brought my Admech. Now, my Admech is probably my strongest army, or at least it was back in 8th edition. I rarely lost games. I did very well at local tournaments with this, with this particular army, placing uh, second or third pretty frequently. So I was not afraid going into this, I had beaten his Blood Angels before, and I and I wasn't necessarily all that worried about it. But he had some new tricks up his sleeve. And it, it turned out really, really well for him. First off, he scored, I want to say 50 points, 5-0, and I scored uh, 11. Yeah, I think 11 was the final count, and I might be being generous there. Like, he trounced me, just trounced me. First off... He understood that it was an objective-based game. I kept trying to maneuver myself into a position to just be shooting at him, but I forgot that it was an objective-based game, that that's the way you're supposed to score your points. He did not. So from the very first round going in, he was making sure to grab objectives and hold them more than me and for much longer. I had to kind of move as a bubble as a lot of Admech forces are designed to do. I was going with the old school uh, Onager Dune Crawler, uh, like Rangers build that used to be very successful. And it's not bad now, but uh, yeah. So I, I fired off some volleys. He had moved uh, his suppressors into some pretty easy range and I took them off the table first, first turn. And he started looking a little glum because they were a big unit. They cost a lot of points, but he kept with it. And he definitely, like, still sunk his claws into it, gave it his best effort. And he just ended up owning me. 
uh, in particular is Captain, which was set up just about the same way that... Remember when I was talking about that game where my captain stabbed the Carnifex in the face, Burning Blade and Sword of the Imperium? Yeah, he had the same combo going on with a four-up invuln too. So it was it was rough. It was it, that was, he stayed alive until the very end, and that's basically what he had to do. He had a, he already racked up the points. He was continuing to rack up the points, and really all he had to do was stay on the board, which I was trying my absolute darndest to make him not do. But I was cornered up, as as is the way with an admech bubble like that. I was cornered up. Had my little phalanx of rangers around my onagers that were doing work. And I was pretty comfortable in my corner. My plan was just to blast him off the board. But he had another thing coming for me. There's an orbital bombardment stratagem that the Adeptus Astartes have access to. And he placed it right on the objective that I was guarding. Now, based on the rules for that thing, it was going to hit my army in a way that I really couldn't afford, especially all clumped together like they were. So I had to maneuver out of my corner so that just one of my units, one of my onagers, took some damage. Because I'm rolling with a custom uh, Mechanicum chapter, the Data Horde with the the, the vehicle buff, Yeah, because I, I dig vehicles. So, so yeah, I, I knew that it was going to be ticking back uh, some, exp some health, and so I was willing to let that happen. However, that maneuver, that push that he gave me out of the corner was just enough to open up space for his sanguinary guard. And he popped him up in the air and dropped him right into the spot that I had had to move out of. Charged, first turn, easily. Got inside my my uh, my range, started getting up in that dune crawler's face. It's cool that they can still fire in melee combat. Not overly reliable, but... Uh, but yeah, I was doing some work, and then he just managed to close. It was this this slow grind. You know, my rangers all got uh, taken out by various bolter fire. Uh, his captain came up and started doing work. And I mean, once my uh, marshal, my Skitari marshal, was off the board, that was basically game over for me. And I ended up having to tap out halfway through the last round because I knew I was looking at the board, and there's I was like, there is no way, zero chances for me to win this game. I cannot rack up the points that I need and I cannot eliminate his units. So yeah, I, I conceded the game. It was very well fought. That The tactic that he used, the orbital bombardment to make me scooch out of my safe place and then dropping his dudes right into that spot. Brilliant. Fantastic little plan. I absolutely loved it. And so I just, I just want to praise him a little bit more and, and say that that was very well done. And uh, I'm back in the lab. And I'm working on a response. So, that was fun. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, I just wanted to take a moment to wish y'all well. I am aware that half of the world is on fire, and the other half is underwater. Many of us are struggling with various economic situations, political situations, that, in conjunction with a plague, make life difficult. At times, And if you're not experiencing any of this, then I envy you, because it is a difficult time. So I just, I just wanted to reach out to you and say that I wish you well. I hope your family's okay. I hope that you are okay, that your loved ones are okay. Just, I just want us all to make it through this so we can game together. I would love to, to face off against y'all on a Warhammer table or a Belagarth field. It would be pretty sweet. But we got to get through this first. So... 
Looking forward to seeing you. But I think it's time that we launch into our first section where we're talking about the realm of Ebenhold. Joining me on this episode to talk about the realm of Ebenhold is a good friend of mine, Theon. Theon, how are you doing? Doing great. How are you doing, Malark? You know, I, I'm doing okay. I, I can't complain. There's smoke here, but there's smoke all over the West, so it doesn't seem like a complainable offense. But uh, we're not here to talk about the smoke today. We're here to talk about a little bit of your experience and a little bit of Ebenhold. So why don't you let the listeners know what your wargaming experience is? So I have been a fighter in Belagarth Medieval Combat Society for the last 16 years now. I started in junior high, and honestly, it is the thing that kept me out of trouble as a kid. Every person from my generation of family, cousins, nieces, nephews, have all been on the front page of the paper. Mine is the only one that wasn't a mugshot. So, (laughs) yeah, enjoyable thing of being able to be a nerd and be on the front cover of the paper. Sure, sure, and probably a little bit better publicity, too. Absolutely. I have been uh, a war council rep for Ebenhold for the last six years. I've been here for the ups and downs of our realm. Uh, We've had a a lot of drama Basically, we've had a lot of peaks and valleys of membership turnout, and I'm happy to say that we're actually on a track to be in a great place coming back post-COVID, which I know is going to be hard for a lot of realms to do. Yeah, I mean, uh, even here, we've been we've got little little tricks to keep everybody together and to kind of keep the realm alive, but it's yeah, it's been a struggle for sure. And not going to lie, Stygia has been a good blueprint to follow for us. I'm really glad to have you guys as a sister realm. Well, uh, while we appreciate that uh, vote of confidence, I have to say, as the VP of Stygia right now, that it's entirely a hybrid system. I've been looking around the country at the way that other realms have been doing it and being like, okay, that works, that works, that works, and just kind of compiling it into something that seems to be doing just fine. That's something I've noticed, too, a lot recently, is outreach has been handled a whole lot better in the last year than it has in years before, because instead of talking at events or talking at practices and getting those microdoses of conversation that we need to progress the sport, we're getting big, long conversations and actual time to think about what we're saying and why we're saying it online versus just rambling in person uh true right and uh i mean like you say it's it's made the communication there's a necessity to it i think before it wasn't necessarily pressing on people because you know it was like oh okay that's an option but we're going to see each other at events and practice and it's it's not a necessity but now it's you know if if you're not using it that way uh you're not keeping in touch so yeah, that's it's it's a good thing in my opinion, but it's it's definitely been an adaptation. Absolutely. So Theon, speaking of Ebenhold, uh, where is it located? So that so that people can kind of look on a map and know where we're talking about. So we are in the smack dab of the Highlands of Chaos. We are in Idaho Falls, Idaho. We have 
practices every Wednesday at 5 o'clock at Toffus Park and every Saturday at 5 o'clock at Toffus Park, but we do actually have a new schedule where we are alternating practices with a new Rexburg realm that has popped up, and they are actually rivaling our numbers, which is surprising to see for a brand new realm. Hey, but it's a, that's definitely a good thing to have a friendly rival nearby. Absolutely. So, when was Ebonhold founded? How, how old is this realm we're talking about? From what I've been able to see, the formal foundation of Ebonhold started in the early 90s. Right on. And, and uh, to give a little bit of background, there's not been a solid historian. You don't, you don't have like a, uh, yeah, a notes or anything like that for Ebonhold. You, this is kind of almost a little bit like being a historian, kind of reaching into the different sources you have and compiling the best <laughs> idea that you can. Yeah, it's actually been uh, quite the adventure in the last week to figure out who was the big lead-in from when I came into Ebonhold. Uh, I actually started in a now-defunct realm that was in Rigby, and we had gone through about five or six name changes trying to figure out our identity, and then we just figured, hey, make the 15-minute trek down to Idaho Falls and become a part of that realm, because why separate two smaller numbers when we're running practices on the same day and we could actually have giant fights? True. And, and like you said, it's not that big of a drive to get there. Um, when, when I was coming in from, uh, Murfreesboro and Christiana, uh, is like a, a, a sub, it's like a suburb of a suburb of a suburb of Nashville. And, uh, I'd link up with a, a buddy of mine and we'd drive in. It usually took about 45 minutes to get there, but you know, it, I mean, Dirt Marion was a huge realm. So it was one of those things you got there and it was basically like an event. Every practice was like an event. It was really cool, but 15 minutes, that's quite reasonable. Absolutely. Uh, for a bunch of kids with bikes in high school, it seems like a whole different story, but as soon as one of us got a van, it was pretty much, hey, we're all packing into this van, eight people, and strapping all the gear to the roof, and we'll be at practice. You know, I, I love the fact that you are, you're talking about a van, because there are two very different perspectives of vans. Like, in regular society, it's like a, a soccer parent car, it's a, uh, you know, it's one of those things that's kind of, oh, you know, that's kind of boring, kind of uh, tapioca in terms of, of cars. But for somebody who goes to events or somebody who goes to tournaments with a large army, a van is a godsend. Like, that's a chariot from heaven right there. <laughs> the worst smelling chariot ever, but a sweet <laughs> smell nonetheless. <laughs> Well, you know, you can't always get the full package, but uh, the transport, the transport is what matters. It's only 15 minutes, right? Right. So you, uh, you bring up an excellent point when we're, we're talking about trying to figure out the past. I feel like when most people found a realm, uh, our, our realm included, it's hard to kind of put things together because nobody really starts with a historiographer. There's not anybody there like from the beginning being like, okay, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. These are the major transitions. Um, you know, most people are just like, you know, we'll, we'll remember, but the next generation won't and the generation after that won't. And so yeah, this seems to be a fairly common problem outside of Numenor. You know, Numenor has this extensive history that their, their, uh, to be knights have to like memorize and stuff. They are really on it 
But um, uh, most of the rest of us, it's a bit hazy. Well, and that's one of the things I've actually wanted to kind of push myself to do as a squire of Numenor Knights did have that deep history of their realm, and it would be nice to have a new person come to practice who really isn't into the fighting and really more into the LARP aspect of our sport, because there really is a deep LARP aspect of our sport that I feel goes unappreciated a lot. There is truly have been knights of our realm who have lost teeth in a joke accident collision that have become a fabled story in our realm of when Sir Cedric lost a tooth and how that gave our land power. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Uh, we have a little bit of mythology like that, but uh, no, that's, I mean, you can't really top most stories about Cedric, Hail the Emperor. Yeah, that's that, that's funny. <laughs> I like that. In fact, uh, I'm just sitting here picturing the story and trying to fill in the blanks. Why why don't you tell the story so I can actually laugh at the real thing? So, the story goes from perspective of I'll t I'll tell it how I would have told it if I was a goblin. Uh, Perfect. There was a day which the battles in the Black Tundra were harsh and the land was heated and many people did nothing but pray for rain for a long time uh, the god emperor Cedric steeding into battle in full armor pulling off of his helmet due to the heat clashed with an opponent and as the clash happened the battle around him stopped as everybody saw a shining piece fly into the air people threw their weapons to the ground and started searching through the grass to try to find this piece of the emperor that no one would be known it would never be seen again so no one found it and from there it rained and rained and rained and from that point we accepted that a piece of the emperor would bless our battlefield forever so what I'm hearing is that we need to empty Cedric's mouth of teep, teeth and ship them all over the western United States. <laughs> the plan has been enacted and the plan has failed multiple times. <laughs> well, that makes sense. He's the God Emperor, so uh, it's, it's hard to outfox the fox himself. It's like Spider-Man. Everybody gets one. Cedric, uh, being one of the, the many people, I'm sure, in the realm, how, how many people are in the realm of Ebonhold? And I, I'm including non-coms in this, too. Um, currently, I'd say active, we're pushing about 20 to 25 members that are showing up right now. Uh, active members, including retired knights and anyone who we would qualify from our realm page, We've easily pushed over a hundred fighters of people who have come in and stopped fighting or people who have moved to colleges or other towns. Uh, it's been, like I said, peaks and valleys, and that'll, that'll make a little more sense is when we get into the long-running history of Ebonhold. Uh, there, were, there were some lean times, and then there were some not-so-lean times. Well, that bust-boom cycle is, is fairly common for most realms. And, I mean, it doesn't help that our primary recruiting demographic for most of us is high schools and college, because those folks are almost guaranteed 
to be moving on in life. And I mean, if they move on and they establish a new realm, awesome. But a lot of them, you know, go and get busy jobs and aren't able to, to be around anymore. So it's that re re retaining of people. I, I definitely feel that we have a, a similar issue here. That's, that's the weird cycle that I've actually seen happen is most of the people that I have seen that were the high school kids when I got into it are now the realm leaders and the people who have stuck around. Sure. Sure. Uh, and I mean, I've also like in, in that same point, the second generation, uh, they're scary. Like they're out, out in Dirt and Marion that has like this super long storied history they have like second and third generation fighters who come from families of fighters who have been raised with a sword in their hand and, and they have no fear, no fear on the battlefield. And we're getting actually a couple of knights and their knights families are uh, having second generation fighters come out. And it's, it is absolutely wild to see of kids who don't need basic stick swinging training because they've been doing drills like that their whole lives whether they know it or not sure sure yeah I, they definitely have a leg up on the rest of us i had to definitely bust my tail trying to get any sort of good at this because i wasn't raised in a, a sword culture i mean i picked up a stick and swung it at my brother and cousin on occasion but with no sort of real form did a little bit of fencing but that's not nearly the same as actual combat on a field. Absolutely. Uh, and see, that's one of the things is I grew up in a football, wrestling, boxing family. So the idea of combat sports has always been a deep interest of mine. That's why when I saw the combat sport aspect rolled in the D&D flavoring of Belagarth, I was, I was sold. I... I definitely feel that my first time coming out i was like uh i might like this and here we are i forget how many years later now and uh yeah yeah so i yeah it's a fantastic community and i it's definitely shaped a whole lot of my life too but yeah so uh, obviously we have cedric there right we have you uh, but who are some other prominent members of the realm so at the moment, uh, i will actually go through and name uh, the current council that we have uh, other than myself, we have Khan, uh, the Connable. Uh, he's a member of Horde. Currently, as I know, the only human member of Horde. Uh, he is our other War Council rep. We have Morholt, who is a prominent member of our realm. He is one of the, the people who, if you ever need spare weapons, he'll be there. Uh, he is actually a former king of our realm. We have... Rumpelstiltskin, he is uh, a member of Horde. He has been our voluntold king for the last little while. Uh, I we love have... Rumpel. Rumpel is such a good dude. Like, he is... I lived with Rumpel for about four years, actually, uh, when he was starting the sport. And good God, like you said, the second generation fighters, if all new fighters could sponge this sport like Rumpel did... It would be scary. We'd have a field full of shies. Yeah, which, I mean, that's the goal, right? And that's that's the big thing is, Shy has been a member of that Rexburg realm. That's where I started, is fighting with Shy and fighting with Zane and fighting with Sir Leaf. Those guys were the absolute ass-kicking. So I never got the moment where I felt like Goku. I was always the guy that's like, I feel like Krillin, 
and that's <laughs> awesome because I'm I'm gonna die. <laughs> like, no, and I mean, talk about folks to learn from. I mean, the the learning curve might be steep with folks like Shy around, but in the same token, uh, if you stick around and and ride that curve, you can get pretty good. And that's that's kind of the idea of Ebenhold is we like to hit hard on the field and off the field we try to be the nicest set of people that anyone will meet uh we we try to leave a bad taste on your mouth on the field and help the niceness just be the cool drink after no i i I really dig all that um for those of our listeners who may not know who shy is i'm fairly certain we've brought him up before but he is one of the absolute powerhouses of the West. Pretty much, like, I, I, I don't know many people that would argue with the fact that he's the best or among the best fighters here. He uh, routinely wins tournaments. He's part of a very elite group of, of fighters. Uh, the same one as TF, the EBF. And, yeah, he, but he couldn't be a nicer guy. Couldn't be a nicer guy. Willing to work with people off-field, like, sit there and chat with you. Like, just an absolutely sweet dude who will destroy you on the field. He's the closest thing to Goku I have ever met in real life. He will teleport behind you, beat the absolute <laughs> out of you, and then give you a sensu being a pat on the back. and like, okay, now let me show you how I did that. Which is awesome. Like, there's there's a lot of people who will just beat you and then walk off and, and not really teach you anything at all. But he takes the time. He takes the time, and that's awesome. Yeah, I, I, I have a couple of great stories about Shy. Uh... Actually, one of them, if you want to hear an old story from Rigby Rexburg sword fighting, pre-my Ebenhold days, I have one. Oh, let's do it, yeah. So, we used to meet up after Rigby practices and all meet up at our buddy's trailer, because he lived about a couple blocks away from our practice area. We'd uh, do uh, a game we called Hunters vs. Seekers. My buddy had about an acre of land, and we would throw glow sticks all over his backyard and play essentially hide-and-seek, is you had about a 10-person squad of hunters and a 5-person squad of people who were hiding in the bushes or anywhere that would take opportunity attacks along a patrol patrol route and try to eliminate the squad before they got to the end of the patrol. So the worst one is I'm about three people left in this squad of patrol we're getting to the end of our patrol and zane one of the, the fighters from rigby was under a porch swinging drawing aggro from everybody that was on the patrol so by the time i get up to the patrol my first thought is well we've killed everybody else on the assassin team except for zane and shy where the hell is shy and looking up at the most anime <laughs> moment, Shy is jumping off of a trailer with a red sword, and this is old brick sword, not the nice, fantastic, what I would qualify lighter reds that we have now. I just get crumpled to the ground by this brick of a pillow. It wasn't even a strike, more of just like, hey, I'm just going to let this red fall on you so we both don't die. And he took off from there, and it was just—it's it's just one of those cool moments in life that is like, this is as close as I'll ever get to being in an anime. And unfortunately, I'm on the wrong side of it. He's—he's he's definitely the protagonist, and there are very, very few people that I've seen come in and 
actually make any sort of anime style work. There's a whole lot of people that try down sticking when they first come in. There's a whole lot of people that try to run with their sword behind them. And we usually make fun of them for being goofy. Uh, Shy makes it work. Absolutely. I have a couple of videos on my uh, YouTube page of just him 360 spinning people for the last kill of the game. It's, it's ridiculous. Oh, that's beautiful. So are there any other uh, prominent members we want to discuss before moving on? We have uh, Anubis. We have... I, I could honestly go through a list. Echo. Uh, bet, best bet would be going... Sir Leaf, I there there are just so many, but I haven't seen a lot of them out recently. We've had a lot of new blood into the realm, which is really great to see. Uh, our last practice we had, our new fighters actually outweighed our veterans two to one. Nice. Yeah, it was, and and we're seeing a lot of a lot of fresh kids coming out of school. For the summer, not really known what they have to do. Uh, we're getting a lot of them equipped. Uh, just the base interest of parents seeing kids play fantasy games and having us be the viable option that they see is just wonderful. Sure. No, and and it's a it's a great experience. It's a and there's a whole lot to gain from it, even off the field. But it also helps to be close to a lot of different events and your realm does put on a few of those i've, I've actually been to a couple yeah uh, frozen warriors is something we run during the winter and i think that's that's been one of our better ran events uh just for the cost versus people who show up uh just having a once a month thing in the winter for people to fight even pre-covid in idaho has been a godsend it's it's been fantastic and i'd like to thank uh, actually cien fuegos of the realm of bethel for helping put it on and any other members from the realm of bethel that i'm forgetting to shout out there i'm sorry oh right on and uh yeah it's it uh, takes many hands to run something like that uh you also have uh thaw brawl there as well yeah thaw brawl has been uh one of the Big, bigger events that we run. It's our main weekend re event we run in April. Uh, we've skipped it last year, unfortunately, with COVID. We we were the first event to cancel. Uh, I'm pretty sure on the West for pandemic wise, but it was it was just a real real kick in the knackers. Sure. Uh, <laughs> it was it was a good. Uh, it was one of those times where you had everything set up for the event and you were just waiting for the time to happen and then it just cancels. Just just sucked. Yeah. Oh, I, I feel that. Like all of all of 2020, I had a plan to get out to a bunch of Bellagarth events and go to a bunch of Warhammer tournaments and talk to folks and, and be able to kind of get out there and do interviews, live interviews at the places. And then there was a plague. Actual plague. <laughs> Like, oh, man. But, yeah, so, I mean, and, and those events are awesome. I've been to Thaw Brawl uh, several times, and I've got very entertaining stories from each of them. But uh, this is about you, Theon. So 
So let's actually get into that nitty gritty. You had said uh, that you guys have some pretty cool history going on. Uh, what is the history of Eben Holden, and are there any great tales of the past worth sharing? So from what I have gathered, uh, let me pull up my notes. The start of Ebenhold before I came into Ebenhold was Necronos was Sir Necronos was king, uh, made king by Sir Cedric. Uh, after that, we had a fighter who is no longer fighting named Jules, and this is one of the the downhills of the peaks. After that, we actually uh, I will leave the names of the people out, but we had. Uh, it's what's referred to in Ebenhold now, because anybody who was realm leadership now was young, and this was stories. It was, uh, we refer to it as the Dark Times. Uh, we had a king who actually embezzled from the realm, and honestly, at one point, it threatened to shut down the realm because a legal battle happened. Well, sure. And that was, that was a whole whole lot of unfortunateness and then uh Morholt actually took over kingdom from there and that is one of the times where I actually came into Ebenhold over fighting in Rigby after that we uh went to a seven person war council that is kind of the system that we're going back to uh the two war council reps a treasurer and four speaker of the peoples uh after that we had Sir Leaf uh, took over as King of the Realm, and he actually did a fantastic job. Uh, between him and Morholt, those two really, and their councils that they had together, put in the work to revitalize Ebenhold, to actually make it what it is today. The ability to run Thalbrawl and still come out in the black and not be threatening to go red and to turn a profit that we know can be safe and help revitalize the realm and give us things that we need to as insurance and acting members who are actually really vested and interested in the rules of the sport to getting loaner weapons from the realm. Those two were really instrumental in getting us back to a point where we needed to be and then comes the other big swing of the sword where we went to what I like to call an anarchy system. It was basically just a bunch of voices yelling into a blender that was sorted out by two war council reps, which I was one of those war council reps at the time, and it was a very, very weird period because... I do not envy you that position. Out of, out of all the years I've been a war council rep, those were the worst because it was taking votes that were not formal and trying to figure out how to apply those to what the people would want and what would be the best voting interest of the realm. And when you have a lot of outspoken members like you do in Ebenhold that have a bunch of different views but can still get together and have a conversation that doesn't degrade into yelling and screaming about who's right it's more about what is the best point for the realm it worked 
but it shouldn't have. It's like pouring moonshine into a diesel engine and driving five miles. <laughs> oh, that's some redneck ingenuity there. And that's pretty much what it felt like it was running off of. Um, after the anarchy, Rumpelstiltskin became our voluntold king, and he has been our, air quotes, king for the last little bit of we ran... Me is a solo war council rep because we had other people fill the positions that really... It wasn't a... They didn't vote because they weren't voting. It was, hey, Theon's experienced and he's been speaking for the realm for this long and it hasn't been an issue of contestment or anything. Let's keep him going and kind of follow his lead. But that's where I enjoy... We're moving back to the seven-person system again. Sure. Because with COVID votes and the recent massive bannings, I don't want to be the only person speaking for our realm. And I think it would be better, especially where we have a whole influx of new fighters coming in, showing them that there is more to this game than wacky bats, I'm dead. There is rule sets and events and planning and a whole logistics side to this that a lot of people don't see. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, and I've talked on the show previously about how power politics absolutely exist in, in any organization. You're going to find them in churches, in schools, in, you know, nerd wacky bat clubs. Uh, you know, those are going to be everywhere. Absolutely. That's, that's the whole thing that I wanted to do is make it clear to my realm that I don't want to abuse the power that I have because this game is supposed to be fun, safe, and entertaining. And if you take those triangle of things and pull one corner away, the whole game falls apart. True right. I mean, that's kind of the, that's the, kind of the balancing act that that a whole lot of different companies and organizations have to walk to. Uh, you know, Games Workshop is under a little bit of fire right now because they're taking away one of those corners, and a lot of people are rather mad about it. Uh, so, yeah, the the fallout of any mistake can be uh, really hard to rectify. Absolutely. Even a small mistake dominoing could unstabilize an organization and, the fact that we have gotten through this last year as a medieval combat society and stayed together and haven't torn each other apart, there have been some big pieces of discourse, but we're still here. People are still excited about Chaos Wars that still has no plan yet. People are still excited about Battle for the Ring that has no plan yet. I'm still planning for Thal Brawl, and my first thought is... This is going to be canceled, but the plan was great. Oh, that's true, and there and there's nothing wrong with having it, even if it goes by the wayside. It's better to have a plan and not need it than to not have a plan and definitely need one. Absolutely. So, uh, kind of going back to that to that history of the realm after this after this uh, these shifts of of kind of the way that it was run to what it, what sounds almost like a parliamentary monarchy at the moment. You know, there's there's other stuff that was happening throughout that. You know, there was there was the like the Cedric event, and of course all of the shy stuff. Uh, any other fantastic stories from that uh, period of time? Um. You know, pre-COVID. Uh, 
couple Thaw Brawl stories. Um, it just really depends on what you would like to hear. Do you want to hear something more serious? Do you want to hear something a little more lighthearted? What, on your opinion, what would you like to hear about Evan? If you've got something that might give us some chuckles, I think we could all use some chuckles in this year of 2021. Okay, so when I was playing a goblin in Horde, we used to do a ceremony at Thal Brawl, which was we would cage a bear in wicker, and essentially Nicholas Cage wicker man a stuffed animal every year. How that started was the first night of Thal Brawl, it had rained all day, and this was one of my first Thal Brawls, so of course... We are trying to stoke a fire with as much wind block as we can and throw as much logs on this fire to keep this fire going and find anything dry to keep it going. Unfortunately, somebody had a uh, breakup before the event, the day before the event, and had all of his things that he took from his girlfriend's house. So, you know, a good dude bro moment from another friend, one of our members of our camp, starts pulling gifts that his girlfriend had given him and throwing them in the fire to feed the fire. So, of course, like, sappy love notes were first, and then pictures, and he was cool with this at a point, but then we got to the giant four-foot stuffed animal bear. Good lord. Yeah, we were, uh, we should probably not throw this in the fire, but also, we would like to be warm, so... The terrifying thing is, as soon as this bear hit the fire, the rain stopped. Like, of course. Yeah, it was it was terrifying. It was like, okay, we're just going to take this moment and agree with it and be fine. So, the next two or three years, it became a ha-ha-hee-hee joke of any time it rained at Thalbrawl of who forgot the bear, who forgot the bear, who forgot the bear. Well, no one forgot the bear at those times because that was light rain. The one actual year that I ran the event and forgot the bear, I was standing heralding in Thalbrawl. If anyone's ever been to Thalbrawl, we run it at a site called Kelly's Island. So it's a big road leading in, and it loops all the way around like a lasso, and then connects back to the main road to lead out. So I'm standing on the field heralding the field, watching a dust devil tear down the road, and my first thought is... Did I bring the bear? Did anyone br- did anyone bring the bear? So I watched Uh-oh. this dust devil tearing down the road. It's following the road, not hitting any dirt or anything. And my first thought is, yep, that's going right towards my camp. I know exactly I know exactly where that's heading. Well, Uh-oh. about 10 or 15 minutes later, my wife comes up and tags out is like, "Hey, can you get somebody to take over? One of our tents is in the tree." And oh. I was like, "Oh, okay." Haha, thinking it's going to be a little 5-10 foot tree. She just needs a hand. No, we're sitting there trying with a weight and a lasso, trying to pull this tent down out of a tree. It's about 20 feet in the air. And all I can think of was never forgetting the bear again. (laughs) What is it with y'all down there in Ebenhold and having this strange pact with the weather gods? I, I really need to know what's going on with with your witchcraft or whatever you guys are doing. So that goes back to uh, Zane. Zane was, for a long time, he was our monster representative for Horde before I got barreled into Horde. Uh, He 
basically cracked jokes all the time of any time it rained or any time the weather was going bad, he would drop his stuff on the field and just start cursing the Storm Lord Gorlock, which Gorlock is very well-known member of our community, not just a well-known member of Horde. Fantastic person. Not a, not at all vengeful at all, but in Ebonhold, he is, no, you say the word Gorlock, and it's like, what have you done with the weather? And that's pretty much become like, we have people who had, have no clue that Gorlock is a real person, and it's going to be a fantastic time when the moment comes up of somebody's randomly from our realm cursing Gorlock at event, and his response, you rang? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> You, you do realize that this is how, like, legends and religions begin. There's, like, a person who actually did something kind of cool or, or there was a joke or something that started, and then generations later they're still practicing it, but they don't really know why, and they come up with, like, a structured way to practice it, and eventually you have a Church of Gorlock. Yeah, I was, I was about to say, they, the Jesus gave wine and bread, and now he's known, and Gorlock gave rain and anger. And he's known really well in Ebonhold. You know, we need a god for anything. That's just uh, that's just the way it is. <laughs> Minor oh. deities need respect, too. Absolutely. And I, I'm not sure if I'd qualify Gorlock as a minor deity, but that's that's a conversation for a for another time. So, so in talking about your realm, apart from the amazing weather magic that you guys seem to have mastered down there, what is the what is the culture? It is the r real rough question. Uh, everybody in Ebonhold plays really close to the vest. Of when we are out talking at practice, it is sport driven. Personal politics really don't come into the realm because we do have a very wide range of people on the political scale. We have. Sure. A lot of people on the right, we do have a lot of people on the left, we do have a lot of people who lean in the middle, and that has been one of the issues of the flexes up and down, and which has led us to the point, as I said earlier, of us being able to have a civil conversation without a breaking down into yelling. That has kind of gone from sword fighting politics and turned into real life skills which is always great to see nerds handle absolutely yeah and uh, that sounds almost like a microcosm of society as a whole you know you got people on the right you got people on the left you got a, a silent majority kind of hanging out in the middle and uh the trick to society or the trick to to like a realm is to help all of those people get along communication is key absolutely and those common those common things uh, the, the common ground that everybody has the the ability to communicate in ways that aren't related to that and participate in activities that aren't related to it that's really positive too absolutely it's moments that can bring people together rather than pull them apart sure uh, what kind of units are present in the realm uh, currently uh, we have I believe shy is the only EBF. I am currently a conscript under Gelf. We have a local house that is the Fist of Fury, and that has kind of been a 
we have a ragtag group of mercenaries or people who don't know what they want to do unit-wise, let's give them someone to fight with and some unit members or other people that have been in the realm that can guide them to better things. Uh, Morholt actually has been reviving a unit that fell along the wayside due to some drama, uh, the Reapers. Uh, He has actually pulled himself as one of the original members. Anubis, uh, former Horde, has actually taken the Sash back up. I am an honorary member of that, just to help them with the rebuilding process. But currently, they're pulling some new fighters and some fighters who have been off the field for a couple of years, coming back into it strong and looking to get new gear and new garb and it's it's been really weird because we usually had a big diverse amount of unit members and now we are outweighed unitless members to people who have units unit battles on our field is funny because it's 15 to 16 mercenaries versus hey i'm over here by myself well, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I find that a lot of folks, when they come in, join units too hastily without necessarily making a careful consideration of, you know, personal styles or, or you know, experience or the, the ability to connect with folks. Um, and so it, it act, I actually kind of like that. I like the fact that you all have a, a fairly wide group of people who haven't declared yet because that means they're actually going to be able to put some thought into it. Yeah, uh, Echo has a mercenary unit, the Black Rose Order, which is fantastic because it is... It's not necessarily a feeder system, but I feel like it is a good foundation for newer fighters and fighters who really want to get the idea of units and unit politics. And it's good with the idea of... Not everybody can be in a unit. Not everybody will make it into a certain unit. And giving the idea of, yes, personal politics will affect your unit more than you as a solo fighter on the field. Sure. And that absolutely makes sense. Uh, Everybody rises and falls, uh, again, on those little politics. Whether you're part of a Belagarth realm or whether you're part of a gaming guild, you know, we, we all have to suffer and uh, deal with these things, navigate them, as it were. Um, but Theon, uh, we're, we're getting to being out of time here. We definitely have gotten all the way up to the mark, and I have not gotten through all of my questions, which is okay. You had, you had a lot of good stuff to say, and, and I'm, I was very glad to have heard it. So thank you so much for being on the show. No problem. I appreciate you reaching out and having the time to actually talk to another wargaming enthusiast. Well, that's what we're all about here. So, again, uh, thank you. And now we're going to go into our next interview where we talk to the founding members of Vorshin. So here for the second part of our show, I have a real treat for you guys. We have Arshank and Tandar. These are two of my friends from out east. I met them when I was living in Durdemarion for that year, and they have never ceased to impress me. We're going to be talking about Vorshin today, but to give you kind of an idea of these two, I I don't normally fear 
people with red. I, I kind of know the technique and know the timing. Tandar, however, is one of those folks that if he's using the red, I will take notice and typically stay out of range if I can, just kind of stay out of it. And uh, Arshink is the, probably the only person I know to win a tournament her first year in the sport. Uh, Arshank, Tandar, it is an honor to have you all on the show. Hi, Malark. It's nice to see you again. Hey, Malark. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad you guys are here, too, and I'm also really glad to see you again. Hopefully this whole plague thing clears up and I'll be able to see you shortly in, in the person, not just over the uh, interwebs. So, tell the folks a little bit about your wargaming experience. Um, let's see. I've been in Bellegarth for seven years now, since 2014. I've played several uh, combat RPGs, but nothing really on the level of like Call of Duty or anything. I'm not very good at the first-person shooters. Uh, hi, I'm Tandar. I, um, I've been, I started just after Arshank, so it's been about seven years for me as well. Uh, I used to play a lot of Call of Duty back in like college, and like more League of Legends rec recently. Um, bringing that up, we actually made out a League of Legends into Bellegarth. Yep, we were able to hybridize the, the games by putting a League of Legends Summoner's Rift battle into action and actually put it onto the Bellegarth field, roped off the three lanes, and we made foam torches where I actually sewed on red and yellow flames onto the tops of these things and so people could actually hold torches and jungle through the negative areas people had a lot of fun with that but they weren't very good at remembering to keep their hands on the torches when jungling so we got to call a lot of people out and kill them in the negative space guys that that right there sounds like a fantastic idea and i have to tell you honestly that i am going to shamelessly steal it i'm going to <laughs> do it Please do. It needs to go further than it has. No, that's that's really cool. I, I don't know why I didn't think of that before. I never really played League of Legends or Dota, but I've always had roommates or friends that have played it. And uh, yeah, I don't know why that didn't occur to me. Yeah, genius. We've seen a lot of League of Legends versions on the Bellegarth field, but no one had incorporated jungling yet. So that was a big treat that people really liked. Yeah, no, and, and that makes it uh, truer to the game as well, just kind of incorporating that idea. Yeah, I dig that. So uh, today we're going to be speaking about Vorshin, the, the unit that you all founded. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. When was it founded? Where was it founded? And kind of where are you guys located now? Vorshin was founded at Equinox of 2014, so that would have been September. Uh, ooh, that's going to be seven years coming up. Uh, Dirt Marion hosts two weekend events per year, Beltane and Equinox. When I joined uh, Dirt Marion and, and my first day on in Bellegarth in general was at the Dirt Marion home opener that same year. So that was between April and September. So only five months before we founded our unit. And now we'll be celebrating our seventh year together. That is incredibly impressive to me. I, I know a lot of folks that found a unit within their first year and it's usually based on some kind of theme and it's fun and it's sort of their friends, but it's, it peters out eventually because, you know, maybe the leadership isn't strong enough. Maybe people get poached, 
by other groups. So I'm I'm very impressed abortion is still around. It's been really nice. We have essentially a family that we've grown together. I the unit jokes that I have four grandkids now oh. <laughs> because we keep having families. <laughs> hey, you know that's not a bad thing. Again, a a sense of community, a sense of belonging I know is part of the draw to what we do and so uh, having that be cultivated within y'all's unit, I'm sure is just it's it helps even more. One of the things that really helps, honestly, we have just a Facebook Messenger group, and it's uncensored. Anyone can can like share and like get help in there and talk, because we've had people leave and go off to the military or move out of town, but they're while they're not on the fighting field with us, they are still involved with what we're doing and on a daily basis keep in touch. You know, and I'm during normal years, I'm sure that that's that's good even then. But throughout this time of COVID, I'm sure that that's just helped reinforce the cohesiveness of the unit. It really has. Yeah, it's been really nice because we couldn't always see each other, especially before the vaccines were accessible to everyone. So being able to still communicate and have that sense of community long distance was really nice. Even if it's like dumb memes or something, you know, you're still connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Just just something to, yeah, to remain connected and have that sense of of camaraderie. And yeah, that's that's awesome. I'm glad that you were able to to keep that up during this trying time. So Vorshin, I at least if I recall correctly, uh, was based out of Durdemarion when it first started. Um, and if I recall, that's when I became an honorary member. Mm -hmm. Now, has it spread beyond Durdemarion at this point? A little bit. We do have several honorary members in different states, including Illinois and New York. Our main focus right now is centered in Nashville, Tennessee at Dirt Marion. But when people have picked up, we did have one full unit member move to Texas. And he spread Vorshin there, at least by name. Hmm. And then he moved back here. Well, that's 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 cool though, because um, a lot of folks they have to have a wider recruiting base. But I mean, Dirt Marion has so many people there that it's it's not hard to recruit enough to have an actual functioning unit. Dirt Marion is very large, and I didn't always understand that until I went to other practices and events. But our average practice at Dirt Marion pre-COVID was 100 people. Yeah, see, that's a large, like, if we got that for a Montana event, we would be, like, high-fiving each other, like, in an event, <laughs> an event, like, you, but you guys have it for practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I know, I, I miss it. I, it. Every weekend was an event when I was there, and it was just a, a delight. <laughs> <laughs> and we recently held opener for people who were vaccinated, and we had a pretty good showing, even though it was a super rainy day. It was. Oh. Like, besides that time that us two, Malark and Skeletor, fought in, like, freezing rain, like, these people were dedicated. To be young and dumb. Right? I, I think I got pneumonia. <laughs> if we're talking about the session I'm thinking about, I think I got pneumonia from that. <laughs> you did, you yeah. You did. <laughs> yeah. I caught a cold. I, I got bronchitis. You got bronchitis. You got a pneumonia. We did very dumb things. But again, we were young enough to bounce back, and that was nice. Um, now, I think the reason that I probably got it worse than y'all is you're used to the to the wet. You know, <laughs> you're in Tennessee, so like wet is just sort of the the state uh, motto, I suppose. 
Uh, whereas here, I live in a desert. It's an alpine desert. It's on fire right now. You guys are underwater. So yeah, when I went there and was exposed to that cold and wet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so with a, a realm of that size, with that with that large of a recruiting pool, how many people, uh, fighters and non-coms, are in uh, Vorshin? In Vorshin itself, if we don't include retired members, we're in the 20s. Solid 20s. I'd have to do a, a head count, but we've kept really good numbers for both combatants and non-combatants. And right now we're pledging three people? Thanks, so. sir. Three yeah. people who have not been able to take their trial. Thank you, COVID. Yay. Yeah, no, they've been pledging for a while. Like, it is time. Yes, they're ready. Uh, I, yeah, we're all chomping at the bit, but that, uh, like, to have that right there and just waiting... <laughs> for a certain time that's got to be torture <laughs> so when your unit attends an event on average how many folks are able to make it it really depends if we have a, a, a tennessee specific event we'll average probably 10 people from the unit and we'll have a nice camp set up if we have one of our events that we're hosting if it's beltane or equinox we'll have at the very least 10 people in our camp area usually more than that really like a lot of people come out for beltane and equinox mm -hmm. it's when you get to like Ockfest that will wind up between like five and ten yeah out of state gets harder for people for sure and and for those of you who may not know Ockfest takes place in illinois correct i've been there i swear i've been there but like you know uh, I didn't. I don't have notes about it, so I don't remember. <laughs> it, it's near uh, Normal, Illinois. I know that. Gotcha. Carbondale, isn't it? It's Illinois. We know it's Illinois. <laughs> so, is there a particular event that's important, like most important to you? I know there's a lot of units that say, you know, if you make it to one event this year, make it to this one because it's kind of the big one for our unit. Is there one that's that's like that for y'all? Probably EQ, since that was our founding event. Uh, we'll celebrate. We have ceremonies. Uh, I'll host ceremonies at on Thursday night. And then we'll have those who have passed their trials will get a pledging ceremony Friday night. And then we'll vote in new pledge members on Saturday night. And we'll go and pass the flags, the pledge flags to those people and offer them those flags on Saturday nights, but um, Equinox is really when we celebrate being together, celebrate our foundings, and then uh, we'll stay up as long as we possibly can and end up celebrating and singing Disney karaoke till about three in the morning around the campfire. That is outstanding. I got, I got to make it to an EQ so I can come hang out with you guys. That That sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, please do. That would be so awesome. I know it's the smaller of the two events, but it is fun. Mm -hmm. Beltane's always weird because it takes place on my birthday. And so, like, I, I'm always hesitant to tell anybody that because I'm like, the, the point of all this is the event. But, like, on the other hand, I'm like, it's my birthday, yo. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but if you tell people at the event that it's your birthday, you get extra cake. Like, there are a lot of extra treats. Also get a bee sting. That's what happened to... 
the Beltane that I was there. Oh yeah, I'm I'm allergic to bees too, but I was there for the the Beltane and I got stung on my thigh. Yeah, I mean I, I just ate a bunch of Benadryl and then after a couple hours realized that I was okay. Went to bed in my cabin and all Angel had heard. Angel is the the realm leader for Durdamarian, a uh, real cool person, runs just about everything in the world. And she's a, a medic as well. And so she had heard that I had gotten stung and I was allergic and I went to lay down. She didn't hear about the Benadryl or the time period that had been, you know. And so I wake up in my cabin, I'm, and I'm naked, by the way, to uh, Angel standing over me with half the medical staff. And I'm like, hey, guys, can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, oh, no. it was nice to be checked on. It was, I, I felt cared about. So that was pretty cool. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I mean, I like Beltane, but I'm not going to tell anybody it's my birthday anymore because the bees find out. <laughs> All these years, I've never been attacked by bees there yet. Don't jinx yourself, Jeebus. It'll happen now. Just don't tell them it's your birthday. That's, that's, the, uh, that's the key I see. <laughs> so besides yourselves, who I consider v- uh, prominent members, absolutely, uh, do you have any other like prominent members of your unit? Uh, we have several people who've been with us for multiple years. Um, we have Davlon, who was actually one of our friends from college, who was a groomsman at our wedding. Uh, he's very active in our unit. Uh, and he's currently squiring. Yes, he is. He's, right on. He's a squire. Yep. Yeah. He's a squire to Sir Jaconta. His his girlfriend is my was my coworker. I brought her into the sport. She's been working on her activity. Um, let's see. We also have, I mean, Aaron has been, he was one of the people, he took our very first pledge trial. So he's been an active part of the development of Vorshin from the start. Uh, and his fiance is an active non-combatant in the sport and has helped us develop what we thought was a good balance between combatant and non-combatant on paper turned out to not be as applicable in real life. So uh, Aaron's fiance Oshai has been helping us figure out better balances for non-combatants and pledging for the full member process. Right now they're an honorary. Then their roommate Sunhar. Sunny has been an active member. You'd really like her spear work. Yeah. Like she's very mobile and is a very strong spear spear fighter i always love those you brought up the trials the trials yeah aaron was the sort of like the beta test and then what was it we had sunny and arell's trial yep. the same day people no, were like, oh those two were the same day yeah aaron was the first trial years right. before sunny and arell trial later together and people were just telling us how mean we are <laughs> mean why so with our pledging each person pledges for at least a season and an event so we can see how they fight how they work with us is it a good fit do they want to join at the end of it do we want them to join at the end of their trial it's it's a test to see like is it more than just i want to join and i landed on you guys so it's it's a way for us to test the waters to see if everyone enjoys everyone else's company or if it's just not a good fit and we can cut ties before anything is too intense. But once someone earns their trial, 
the trial is customized to the person and what they need to work on most. So hmm. no trial has ever been the same. And Arel and Sunny trialed on the same day. And Arel's trial, the maximum is always they fight 20 people maximum and we pick the people and no one knows what the trial is except for us until the day of mm. Arel's trial was that he had to either kill his opponent or get past them uh, to force his aggression and everyone who wasn't fighting created a you behind him with their shields and if he touched if he backed up enough that he touched their shield he died oh so he had to push forward he and didn't then like for us. <laughs> Sunny, we um, we made it so everyone chose one part of their body that was a self-destruct button. So whether it's like their right arm, their left leg, their back, and that was the only spot they could be hit to hurt because she needed to focus on throwing more than two shots at that time. Sure. We invited some Angry Birds, and yep. it was great. <laughs> we had a couple of triad members that we trust. The most who can adjust based on what is going on in the fight, but are who are very strong fighters. And at the end of that, no one felt that Arel or Sunny had not earned their place in the unit. Well, good. I mean, that's that like these rites of passage. I feel like in society as a whole, we don't have a whole lot of rites of passage. You know, you graduate from high school, you get a little piece of paper and a pat on the back or some money. You know, you graduate from college, same diff, but like actual trials, actual, again, like rites of passage that help us have worth, help, help us think well of ourselves. Our society is kind of lacking in that. But like in, in terms of like Vorshin and these smaller things, we can kind of get these initiations that foster that feeling. That is the goal to kind of get everyone on the same page and, you know, earn it, to want, want it, to earn it. And they get very excited both for their trial and after passing to know what all they went through in order to accomplish their trials. And they brag about them. They compare their trials to others. It's very exciting for them. Well, sure. Yeah, it, it is absolutely a point of pride and uh, gives people something to work for. I, you know, I feel the same about the Great Hunt, especially when I incorporated into the, the high school. And uh, these kids are able to go through and pass these trials and you know, again, feel like they've accomplished something. They've gone through a rite of passage. So in terms of, of events, you were saying that EQ uh, is, is a pretty important one to y'all. Uh, do, do you guys sponsor any events or do you have like a dedicated volunteer thing that you do at events? I know Tandar usually get roped into feast because you make amazing food, but... Uh... I'm feast coordinator right now, so Ooh. I have to make food. <laughs> yep, we are both on the board for Dirtamarian. I have been the vice president of the realm for the past, this will be two years now. Two and a half, I uh, think, if you count the one you got roped in on. Uh, ad hoc vice president was before I was merchant coordinator. Oh, okay. So I went ad hoc vice president, merchant coordinator, vice president, vice president. Okay. Um, one of the things that Vorshin prides itself on is volunteering. Um, we give back to what gives us our vacation, our time away from computers and technology and the mundane. Um, so every unit member donates one, uh, one or two hours of their time at each event, either to clean up at the end of the event or to 
serve a feast or to run gambling night casino for a couple of hours just to give the administrators like just those couple of hours to do something else so we're not completely scrambled but it gives back to the realm that gives us so much every single time and people are very prideful of that too we really like that one of the most prominent people you see volunteering at Beltaner Equinox has abortion flag on them. No, that's awesome. I, I, I echo that sentiment. I feel like uh, events would go a lot smoother if everybody had that policy. If everybody just picked up a, a couple of shifts throughout the event and just uh, helped out a little bit. If everybody's doing that, the event goes pretty smoothly. There's also with that, um, we were working with Winter War a lot back before the plague. So if any abortion went to Winter War, we ended up doing a lot of weapons check as a realm too. Yes, we were asked to do weapons check at Winter War, and we were not versed on the dagger here uh, manual at arms until we were driving up to the event. Oh, Lord. <laughs> or down. That was Dirty Marion as a whole, too. Yes, that was the realm of Dirty Marion doing that. Okay. Well, right on. Yeah, like I said, that's that's a really good uh, thing to, to cultivate within your your policies, I suppose. So abortion, again, has been around for a while. And I imagine that there is some storied history there. Is there, Are there any great tales, anything like super entertaining that you want to tell about abortion? Uh, we're very big on lore. Are you asking for a fictional story or for a non-fictional story? No, I'm, I'm thinking like something on the field, like something really dramatic that happened. Uh, I mean, I, like the stories would work too if you want to do some fiction that works too. But yeah, um, glory. Was there any true moments of glory you would wish to share? Two, two that I can think of. There was one during uh, Beltane Warlords and there was one last guy left on the enemy team and he had just mowed down like three or four people and Arshank was the last one alive to fight him. And she had her bow out there and a little tiny sidearm. And everyone had pretty well done the same move. Just run to the guy, get rap shot. And she ran almost the same motion. And I had this, oh no. And just throws the bow back to block his rap shot. And then throws her own. And she wins. Last person standing. And it was glorious. And then one that's not technically on the field, but it was a tournament a tug-of-war tournament, and it was a whole abortion team uh, with me, Tycho, Aaron. Guts? Guts. Guts, maybe Guts, because I was the anchor just holding us back, and they were all pulling. And we, we took first at a little day event, and it was, loved it. That one was awesome, yeah. yeah that sounds pretty cool. And one of the things that I would, I would like you to talk about if you can. Uh, like I had mentioned, Arshank, you won a tournament your first year. You wanna, I would love for you to talk about how, like what, what, how, how did you manage <laughs> to do that? Because I don't know of anybody else who did. And uh, a little bit about the tournament itself, because it was very exciting to watch. <laughs> so that tournament was an archery tournament at um, Eastwind Under Siege, yep, yep, I believe, yep. yes. Uh, Eastwind is a private property that has castle setups, um, camp areas in the woods. They have a village with a forge, and they're, the last time I saw they were building an actual feast hall. They just have very elaborate setups. It's an amazing place if you can go. 
but they had a an archery tournament set up with two circles that were each 10 feet in diameter separated by 10 feet and each archer could not leave their circle uh, I was still new at that point because if it was 2014 then I was it was still my first year you couldn't mm-hmm. technically arch on the field of Dirtamarian yet because you hadn't passed all the tests. Yes, so Dirtamarian has a very strict uh, archery policy for safety, and for the number of people that we have, you have to shadow under someone from the Combat Archers Guild of Dirtamarian for at least six weeks uh, until they say that you can safely shoot without supervision. And uh, the Combat Archers Guild was founded by our combat grandmaster Kern, and it had just started hitting, getting closer to the colder months. So I was not getting proper supervision. So I technically could not shoot on Dirtamarian's field without supervision. But it, that didn't count when you go to Eastwind. So when I went to this tournament, and I was like, well, it's not like I'm not allowed to. I'm going to enter just to see if I can. And I ended up winning uh, the archery tournament before I could shoot unsupervised at my home field. Like I said, that is just, that's very impressive. Uh, Just in, like, just in general. Like, that's, again, I've never heard of somebody winning a tournament their first year. It's just, it's just baffling to me. But I think one of the things you were telling me about that is you had spent the winter sort of just kind of practicing knocking. Uh, what you had said was you were sitting there like watching TV or watching a show and just practicing knocking without looking at it. And when I was watching you out there in the tournament, it, it was one fluid motion. You would reach down, grab an arrow, knock it. And by the time you were upright, you were shooting it. Um, it was, it was elven. Like, honestly, it looked, it looked like something out of a Lord of the Rings movie. It was great. Thank you. Yeah. Um, that was one of the things that Kern had me practice. And honestly, when I was sitting there, just watching TV with my strung bow, clicking and unclicking an arrow, I thought it was the dumbest bloody thing ever, but clearly it served a purpose at the tournament and on the field, and I, at this point I don't even notice it. But sometimes I will knock two arrows, I'll knock one not paying attention, and then pseudo-consciously knock another, and I'll end up firing two arrows, and I've killed two people at once doing that too. <laughs> Which was very unintentional, but it looks cool in that precise moment. It's like a, a bow shotgun right there. Just you got a nice spray going <laughs> out. Get a nice splatter pattern going. No, that is cool. I like I said, I, I really like. I'm glad I, I've told that story a couple of times on the show, and I'm glad that you were here to corroborate it. She she's a real person. See, <laughs> and she did it. It was combat archery, so it was 1v1, similar to how like a single blue or a sword and board tournament would go as well. Yeah, so it, it was just you and the other archer with your limited space going around. That was, yeah, it's beautiful. So you received that award, obviously. You've, you've won a tournament. Um, has, your, has your unit received any awards or anybody else uh, done such things? Um, we've had several individual unit members win awards for garb. Um, we had there was a cavalcade mask competition. Um, our unit mate Rain wire wrapped a cat mask, hmm. um, and it had like beading and jewelry and ears up on it, and it was very gorgeous. Uh, we've had several members enter 
artisan competitions for crafting. We're very crafty. Uh, if we're not fighting with something, we're making something to look good while we're fighting in, in it. And it, we've had a lot of individual entrances and winners of those competitions out here in Dirty Marion, at least, we don't have a whole lot of, like, unit as a whole winning prizes, except for, like, unit battles. If we haven't... I don't remember if we've won a, a unit battle, because most of the unit is working these days. I think there were one or two during, like, the big events that we've won. There's no, like, trophy or anything for it, because right. there's always, like, four or five that you do. But, you know, we've taken, we've taken home a couple. Which is bragging rights in of themselves. Yeah. The way I'm used to unit battles is there are five rounds of them. So even if you win one, it's not necessarily that you've won like the unit battle, greater battle. But we've take, we've won at least one actual unit fight in a five-round battle. At our big like Beltane or Equinox event. Mm-hmm. Well, right on, right on. That's that's pretty awesome. And And you were mentioning before that you have several squires that are part of the unit as well. Uh, yes, Davlon is squiring to Sir Jacanta, uh, Tandar is squiring to Sir Devrin, and I'm squiring to Sir Rigta. So we have a lot of active squires right now in the unit. Oh, I love Rigta. He he was one of the first people that I like met when I was there, and he was incredibly friendly. It like he helped me get to my first Auk fest. He was just he's just the best. I really like Rigta, so I'm I'm glad you're kind of squired under him. He's a good. A good role model, as it were. And then uh, Sergi Conta, I just want to touch on that for a second. I know that I've talked about the story of my first Chaos Wars when I ran up on that archer and tried to get her with my big axe because I thought that I had the advantage. And she grabbed my axe, rolled backwards with her foot on my chest, uh, flung me over her. I hit the deck, knocked the wind out of me. She killed me with my axe and then ran off and killed a bunch of other people with my axe. Uh, and that was Sergi Conta. <laughs> She went full berserker on y'all. She did. She's a hoot. Oh, she is. Yeah. She, she is the treasurer to Dirtamarian right now. So we're doing, we're putting in a lot of work. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to hear that she's still active and I'm, I'm assuming that she's still an absolute beast on the field. She is. Yeah. Her heater shield takes a lot of chest shots these days. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, well, that's great. <laughs> So I know that you two are leaders of Vorshin. Are there any other leaders or officials? We're not really big enough to need officials in a larger sense. If we were more active in other states, I would definitely enact like local leaders. Um, but we're very open to everyone in the unit having a say. Like We're not doing any kind of king rule. I don't have overall authority of everyone with phenomenal cosmic power or anything like that. Um, any little bit living space. <laughs> um, but yeah, everyone has a say, everyone has a vote. If people have ideas that they want to bring to the unit, they are encouraged very strongly to do that. Uh, and like I've said, our rules are constantly evolving based on what we thought worked on paper versus what works in reality. And especially mm. as we've expanded with combatants and non-combatants, what is better can always replace what is obsolete. So we're constantly 
getting information and feedback from our our members of what can be improved on and they'll offer like how to improve it and that will go to a vote for the entire unit hmm. so they are part of the creation and maintenance process of their family so really just about everybody is uh, a leader and an official at that point yeah um, they are responsible for how they act and how they are perceived and they are responsible for showing how the unit should be depicted. So everyone takes that leadership stance as a representation of what they want to see in a unit in Belagarth. Well, that's awesome. I, I, I really dig that. It's very similar, I think, to the way the Dark Angels, the way we run ourselves. We don't really have any sort of structure. There's no real unit. I mean, like, Shadow is our unofficial. We all, we all like Shadow. And so Shadow, like, when Shadow speaks, we all, we all listen. But uh, Shadow's awesome. But otherwise, yeah, we don't have any, like, solid leaders. We just have leaders of the moment. So somebody will be like, okay, we need to get camp set up. I'm the leader for the moment. Y'all get going. And so we do it. And then after camp is set up, they're no longer the leader. Um, so we just do that with a bunch of different things. And, and I, I find it works really well. You don't have to have that, like, kind of rigid command structure that can have holes in it, you know? Yeah. We've definitely done that. Like, Aaron, you're in charge of camp. Get them set up we got to go do like official business. Yeah. It's really nice to have people in the unit we can trust to step in, especially because so many of us are on the board to be able to have someone take charge for that example of camp and make sure everyone sets up. No one's on top of anyone else. Uh, everyone's organized and handling business so that when we come back and can join everyone at the camp, there's not chaos. Sure. It's fun time. Right. <laughs> no, that's that's perfect. I again I like a well oiled machine and the best kind of well oiled machine is the machine that wants to be there. And so you it sounds like you kinda cultivate like I, I've used that word a lot, but it's because you, you really do. You two have, have put in a lot of effort uh making Vorshin successful, not not to like uh gratify yourselves or make yourselves seem uh more grandiose, but to like actually help your unit members. Yeah, we've wanted to be really encouraging of what people already were when we met them before they joined the unit. So like people who like to craft, we want to encourage crafting. Um, I love stories and lore, so I encourage people to write their characterization and explain how they got exactly where they are. And I've entered several NaNoWriMo competitions over the past years and I've challenged unit mates, okay, write 50,000 words about your character or tell this story but write it down. And NaNoWriMo is National Novel Writing Month that takes place in November. So while the field is hit or miss based on the weather, everyone can sit down and flesh out their characterization. And I really want to encourage the individual to feel like they can shine. Oh, that's really awesome. Again, I, I've known a lot of units where the leaders just sort of puff themselves up where they, you know, they have somebody carry them around on a, on a throne or like they are the absolute ruler and whatever they say goes sort of thing. Now, I mean, I would carry you guys around on a throne just because you don't have to ask me. I'll just do it. <laughs> but no, again, it's it's I love it that, again, leadership to y'all isn't about authority. It's about accomplishing something. How dare you disrespect my authority? It's really difficult to be 
especially being myself a small fighter to demand respect that's like i gotta work that much harder just to earn people's respect so when i get there like i'm holding on to that <laughs> so i just give like the sure. angry dad face if i need to but that's it's terrifying well, again, you, you've worked in professional kitchens. I'm sure your angry dad face will just peel paint off a wall. Like, that sounds terrifying to me. In terms of the future, what are your plans? I know that COVID has kind of thrown a wrench into a lot of everybody's plans. But in terms of where you want to take the unit or, or how you want to see it evolve, uh, tell us a bit about that. We really don't have like a five-year plan or a 10-year plan what we thought was the plan five years ago has distinctly not happened with the unit. Like I said, what we thought would work when we first started and wrote on paper was just not how Bellegarth functioned, was not how people functioned. And part of that was because we were new, but part of it was also we didn't have the experience of how things function with a, such a vast group of different people and if we're going to encourage differences we have to be willing to accept that things need to change so really it's mostly to continue to succeed we want a group of people who are happy to be around each other who want to fight with each other mm-hmm. on the field not like one-on-one behind the waffle house just yeah no behind the waffle house (laughs) fight alongside each other not fight each other but we want to have fun really like it we want it to be enjoyable for us and for those we keep around us and right now we've we've been kind of stagnant like in terms of membership no i like that and it's it seems very tight-knit it is you'll have to join us for disney karaoke when you come back i i would absolutely love that i absolutely slay be prepared. So, uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get this we're gonna get this going. I like that. Um, yes. So, one of the other questions I had for you, though, in in terms of the future, is are you planning on spreading to to different realms? Because from what it sounds like, part of the way that you keep that really tight knit community is being able to spend a lot of community time together. Uh, what would that look like if you were to pick up uh, like solid e- expansion in other realms? If we did expand to other realms, we would have to have someone trusted be a leader in there who can not only observe fellow fighters, but also be an active mindset as to how the person would pledge, since we have a very complex pledging process for their trials. Mm-hmm. They'd have to know, like, does this person not just mesh well with me but would they mesh well with the group at large sure and you know when it goes from a different realm so like i other realms i know have an average size much smaller than dirtamarian would they feel comfortable stepping on the field if they came to a group of say 10 people they've never met and fight alongside them so i be interested to see how that would look. We just haven't really had the occasion yet or the opportunity to see how that would work in practice. Back in the day, we did have members in other local realms. So like we'd all go to each other's practice practices, but we haven't had the opportunity to go like out of state uh, to have like a commander, like someone in charge there to recruit. 
I'd be interested, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, that'd be cool. Well, I got to get you guys out here for a Chaos Wars or a Battle for the Ring. You can do some uh, recruiting up here in the Northwest and down in California. They got so many people in California. California version. Ooh. You guys could get some, some beachfront property there, you know? hey oh, be fun. And then you could be on fire with us, right? <laughs> oh, Jeebus. Well... But we didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world was turning. Uh, listeners, as you can probably see, I really like these guys. And, and we could probably chat forever. I... I got really sloppy with my sews because I'm sitting here looking at a screen with two beautiful people on it. And I got to say, I get a little nervous. I get a little nervous. But Arshank Tandar, guys, it was <laughs> wonderful to have you on. Uh, and, and I really look forward to seeing you again in the future. Thank you so much for having us. We really missed hanging out with you. This would be really nice when everything settles down that we can hang out again in person. He's going to make us go out west. We can do it. I'm okay with this. I'll come east too. I'm I'm willing to be reasonable. I can come east as well. So just a little exchange, right? Yeah. All right. Well, uh, guys, that's our that's our episode for these interviews with Vorshin and Ebenholt. I hope you enjoyed it. And when we come back for next episode, we're going to be discussing the world of Klauswitz. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't had enough of the art of wargaming in your life, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram where I occasionally post funny and educational memes. If you want to get in touch with the show directly, you can email us at artofwargamingpodcast at gmail.com with any questions, comments, or concerns that you might have. Also be sure to check out all of our sister shows on the Earworm Network, including General Nerdery, Word Balloons, Fried Squirms, and more. We're working hard on having something for everyone. And again, you can find those at earworm.com, that's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M. You can also find that in the show notes. But for now, this has been Yaga Malark, signing off. <laughs>